This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anong, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Florida's aquarium fish producers comprise much of the heart and soul of U.S. production. They are a colorful, hardworking, and dedicated group, and many come from families who have been farming for generations. My guest today is Mike Trotti, owner of Imperial Tropicals in Lakeland, Florida. Mike, a third-generation fish farmer, raises a variety of colorful species, including fancy swordtails, guppies, tetras, catfishes, and cichlids, and is always searching for the next big fish. Join us as Mike discusses his path to the aquarium industry, life on the farm, and some of his favorite fish. We'll be right back after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations and treat bowls, cups and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is aquarium fish farmer Mike Drotty, owner of Imperial Tropicals in Lakeland, Florida. Mike, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Roy. So, Mike, I know uh, I know you've been in the business for a while, as, as is your family. We'll talk, you know, a little bit more about that. But uh, I, I like to ask some uh, really early type questions. So, do you remember what your earliest aquarium fish memory is? My first memories, you know, I grew up on the fish farm, so I was born born actually um, into this uh, business. And um, my earliest memories would be probably going around the farm as a kid with a BB gun at probably I would say five years old. And um, my job was to try to take care of anything that would eat fish. So the bullfrogs and snakes and stuff like that was my that was my objective. <laughs> so so that that got kind of you ready for uh, the Marine Corps later. But we'll yeah. talk about that. So um, what was your very first tank? Do you remember your very first aquarium fish tank? We didn't really have a lot of tanks back then. We uh, we had mainly like burial vault, big volume. But uh, but my parents did let me keep my plecos were uh, were always I was always fascinated by the plecos and um, so I had a, a burial vat that uh, vault that was 180 gallons that I was able to keep you know some royal plecos and some different um, you know precautionists in there and um, so that was probably the first you know tank that I maintained. Yeah, you mentioned that. I don't know if, if a lot of the folks, a lot of the hobbyists are actually familiar with that. Can you explain when you say burial vault, what is that? Most of the farming in Florida 
is uh, done. Uh, the holding tanks are actually uh, burial vaults that they bury people in. So um, these are concrete vats that are um, roughly 180 gallons, and um, we're able to, um, you know, put them in these greenhouses and put them side to side, and it's a really efficient way to hold fish and to keep the fish. So. Um, so instead of um, dead people, we're, we're, raising, we're raising fish in them. And so you take the dead people out of them before you put the fish in? Most of the time. Okay, okay, that's good. <laughs> so how old were you when you started working with your mom and dad officially? You said five with that, but how about like when you were actually working with a fish? Well, believe it or not, they didn't really, um, at, at that young of age, my mom says I helped pull traps and put fish on air and stuff, but um, I don't really remember... Um, at a you know really early age, actually working with the fish, and mostly um, I stayed out of my parents' way because they were so busy sorting and grading and moving stuff. I just didn't want to get in trouble by getting in their way. You know, I had jobs and duties around the farm. You know, I mean, uh, feeding the fish. I remember that as a young child. I used to um, pull a uh, trailer around the uh, ponds, and um, I would sit on the back of it on a bucket and and throw the food out. Same thing with um, fertilizers and stuff like that when we would fertilize some of the ponds. And then, um, you know, a duty that I uh, remember uh, would be going around and collecting frog eggs uh, around the ponds. Um, and I got, I think, like 25 cents for every frog egg I collected. And, and that lasted about a summer. And then my dad figured I should do it for free after that. <laughs> uh, so those are my duties. I didn't really, I would say it was probably 14 or 15 when I really started working with the fish. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have an interest, you know, doing the um, the fish stuff at that age. I liked the fish. I liked the plecos, but, uh, but it was such hard work that um, I was like, you know, there's got to be better alternatives than this at the time. And uh, it took me getting out in the real world before I realized that, wow, you know, um, this fish business stuff is... Um, is pretty cool stuff you know so yes speaking a little bit about that then you did leave for a little while and uh what made you decide to join the marine corps and and where did you serve i definitely want to thank you for your service too of course yeah um yeah it was my um my honor to be able to um, serve and um you know i got out of high school you know i didn't really pay too much attention in high school to uh, what the teachers were saying so i kind of skated through high school and um after um, high school, I went to work with a lawn service that um, I did that for a year, and it didn't take me long after doing the lawn service to realize, man, these people are slave drivers, and I gotta, I gotta do something. And I wanted to travel and see the world a little bit, and I said, you know, the, the military is a great opportunity to do that. And you know, as far as the the Marine Corps goes, I, I wouldn't, you know, really care to serve in any other branch. You know, the uh, the brotherhood of the Marine Corps is, you know, to this day, I, I meet, you know, fellow Marines and. You know, everybody says simplify, you know, which means always faithful, you know, so, um, so the bond there is, uh, very strong with, um, anybody that's been in the Marine Corps and, and, you know, I, um, I really thoroughly enjoyed, um, you know, the four years, you know, I didn't appreciate it like most things until I got out, but, um, it's really helped mold who I am today. Well, definitely, again, uh, appreciate your service. Let's talk a little bit more about your facility now, your farm, so uh, they have a better idea of, of your operation. Can you kind of describe you know, roughly how many acres, ponds, buildings, tanks you have, kind of the setup you have for the facility? We have two locations. The main location is it's 20 acres of land, and there's 160 ponds. And these ponds are kind of like swimming pool-sized ponds, you could say, probably a little bit bigger than most swimming pools. They're um, 
They average about 30,000 gallons. Each pond, you know, has its own self-contained environment with oxygen and water that goes into it. And so you look at an aerial view of the, the farm and it's nothing but ponds. And then, uh, and then we have six greenhouses at the main facility. And these greenhouses hold those burial vaults that we were talking about earlier. And a lot of the production is done, um, you know, indoors in the burial vaults. And then the babies are taken out to the pond for grow outs. And then we also have a, a number of fish that breed in the ponds, like live bears, and um, and they, they actually just breed in the ponds, and then we, we harvest them straight out of the pond. So um, it's a pretty um, pretty wide, you know, spread out operation. It's um, you know we have you know about 600 of those burial vaults. Uh, one thing that's uh, unique about what we do here, I, I should say, is that we keep and breed about you know 200 different varieties of fish. You know, so. So our goal is to do more variety on breeding. So we breed anything from tetras, barbs, tricos, uh, angelfish, live bears, uh, African cichlids, Central American cichlids, South American cichlids. So we try to breed shrimp. I breed some shrimp too. Um, we like breeding all different types of animals, and um, you know we're constantly working on uh, new varieties to um, to breed and, and introduce to the hobby. Well, it sounds like a pretty cool operation, and uh, you know, I know since I've been there too. <laughs> so, no, definitely uh, appreciate all the species you guys are working with. What would you say are your top five sellers? Right now, the guppies would be our top seller. We have some really nice strains that we've been um, acquiring um, from local domesticated um, breeders from the U.S., and, and we've got some really excited um, lines that we're we're working with that um, that we're really excited about. So the guppies would be our number one seller, and then right behind it would probably be sword tails. You know, we uh, we do a lot of different sword tails, and um, you know, same thing. You know, we've brought in new lines, and um, some of these have been crossed with uh, with wild stock. So um, sword tails would be probably number two. Um, Plicos that would be up there in the top five. We breed about a dozen different types of plicos, several different types of bushy nose and uh, hypossumus. You know, we've got some new um, new plicos that are from uh, South America that we're working on that we're we're excited about potentially breeding, and uh, you know, so a lot of that stuff we're excited about. So you mentioned guppies. Can you maybe describe a couple of the real favorite strains that you you and your uh, customers like? Yeah, probably the, um, I would say it has to be the best strain that I've ever, ever bred is a, uh, a blue mosaic guppy. And I've got these from a, um, breeder up in New York named Pete Nang is his name. And he has some of the best, best stock, um, around, I think. I bought these fish from him, um, about a year ago and, and they, they have such beautiful tail. Even the females, the females look better than most males do. So we're, that's probably our, you know, most popular. And then uh, we've got another one that, you know, the name of it is called a super cross guppy. And um, it's crossed with a endler, and it's got really, really nice patterns on it. So um, so that that would be one. And then another one would be like a red tuxedo. It's just got really nice, really nice color to it. And we've got black Moscow's that we breed. Those would be some of the more popular ones. And then I've got a gold delta and a red delta. Both of those are really nice. And then... Um, you know, we're constantly working on uh, on new varieties, you know. So uh, with the guppies, you breed those in the ponds then? 
We do both indoor and outdoor. We used to just pond uh, breed them, but uh, the problem is, is um, the environment can be um, so iffy at times with the cold, with the heat, with too much rain, with not enough rain. So what we try to do is we try to maintain a strain at all times indoors, and then we take them outdoors to grow them up, and, and they also do breed in the pond. So. Uh, a little bit different than what we used to do, where we just let them go in the pond. But we uh, we had a few bad winters a couple of years ago, and we've had a few years of, of bad heat. So we found that maintaining the the strain indoors is a sure way to always keep it up. Yeah, that make, definitely makes sense. So with uh, the fish that you mentioned, which of these would you say would be good for a community tank? And do they have any special requirements? You know, any of the varieties you mentioned, uh, guppies or otherwise? Yeah, the um, all the guppies are great community fish. All the uh, plucos that um, you know we're breeding are great community fish. Uh, some of them, um, the hypostomus family, those get a little bit big. You know, those aren't recommended for small tanks. You know, I would say like a 55 or bigger would be better for a hypostomus. But then a lot of the bushy-nosed plucos that we have that we're breeding, um, they only get maybe you know five to six inches max, and um, and they're really good tank cleaners. So that would be that. I think the bristle nose and the bushy nose, those. Those are, those are probably the best fish, you know, to have in, in, a, in an aquarium because they don't get to the extreme sizes that some of the other ones do. But and they're good, good tank cleaners. And we've got long fin calicos that we're breeding. We got some blue eye, long fin bushy nose that we're breeding. I've got some wild bushy nose from Argentina that aren't described yet that we're working on breeding. I've got some Uruguay bushy nose that we are breeding and we'll have available here probably this summer. Hey, Mike, can you describe, some of the listeners may not know what a bushy nose looks like. Can you kind of describe what they look like? Yeah, it's um, the uh, name of it, you know, is a fitting um, description. It's max size is like four to five inches, but on the face of the um, take is a big bush. You know, it looks like a mustache or a beard or something and got bristles going everywhere and and that's how the um, the males and the females, the females don't typically have big um, bristles like the males do on most species, but they do have small little bristles. But um, in nature, that's the fish's way of finding food and um, interacting with the other other plecos uh, in the wild. So, um, so yeah, very. Uh, when people first see the the breeders, um, <laughs> they're like, "Wow, that thing looks like it's from another planet." So they look really cool looking. You know, and um, I think they're a fish that's going to continue to be a popular item for a long time in the hobby. In terms of the bristle or the bushy nose, those are kind of interesting in terms of breeding as well. How do you breed those and how are they different from some of the other fish you breed? Yeah, they require um, a cave to breed in. So um, what we've done is we've made these little boxes that are made out of um, um, tile or slate is another um, popular um uh, material that they're made out of, and um, and we what we do is we put these caves in the uh, burial vats, and uh, the males will take over a cave, and the female, when she's ready, will will come over to his little house, we should call it, and um, he will um, entice her to go in it, and then he'll trap her, what they call trapping, and uh, then she'll lay the eggs, and the female will fertilize the eggs. And then um, what's unique is the female will leave the cave at that time, and then the male will sit there and take care of the eggs until they're ready to hatch. And that's uh, really a cool thing. Um, I was able to, to get some video of a male 
that was sitting on about maybe 150 babies the other day that turned out really nice. And uh, uh, But it, they're very good parents, uh, and they take good care of their young. And then, um, you know, really a cool experience to see them uh, breeding in those little caves. So, so that's a lot different. And there's so many different varieties of the bristlenose. I mean, literally, there's probably at least, you know, hundreds of different types of bristlenose. A lot of them aren't even described yet that are, are still coming in from the wild. And uh, all different color patterns from the wild. There's a, a L183, which is the Starlight Pico, and it's uh, solid black with um, white uh, polka dots, and it's got a white fin. It's just a really spectacular looking uh, Pico, especially when it's young. And um, the domesticated lines, they have a super red now that started over in Europe that's starting to take off here in the U.S. And it's a really nice one. Um, they've got long fin varieties. There's a green dragon out there that they call. It's a, a green one with yellow fins. Beautiful, beautiful Pico. So, uh, so there's a lot of diversity in it. It reminds me of like the guppies and the other domesticated lines that, you know, there's all different types of colors of them now that are really, really kind of cool looking. Well, they are definitely a beautiful fish. I know based on the, the ones you showed me at your facility, and, and they are, as you mentioned, probably ideal because they don't get as big as the others. I definitely have a lot more questions for you, but let's take a short break, and we'll continue our discussion with Mike Drotty of Imperial Tropicals after these messages from our sponsors. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Pretty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> back and continuing our conversation with Mike Drotty of Imperial Tropicals in Florida. So Mike, you mentioned a little bit of information. You gave us a lot of, actually a lot of information on the guppies and some of the bristle nose or bushy nose that you raise. I wanted to talk a little bit about the cichlids. I know you do a lot of cichlids as well. What are your kind of favorite of the cichlids that you do produce? And can you tell us a little bit about them? That's a hard one to pick from. Um, I have several that are, um, that are really, really like. I would say um, probably the trophies are some of my favorite. They're probably one of the harder ones to produce, you know, uh, numbers on, but uh, I think they're just a really beautiful fish. And, uh, uh, you know, so uh, I've got some uh, cherry spot breeders that are um, F1s, uh, which um, 
you know, the F1 stands for uh, one generation out of the wild. That means the parents were, were wild stock. So a lot of people try to get their brood stock to be um, either uh, wild preferably or F1s or F2s, you know, would be, would be desirable. So what I've been doing is uh, we used to breed a lot of different, um, I would say, the more common Africans, like the Venustus, the Zebras, the Chipokis, the Sokolophis, which are all nice, nice fish, but um, they're all what I call like uh, line items for the chain stores now. And so what, what happens is that the, um, the price gets to the point where they're very cheap and not really affordable to produce. So what we've been doing for the last couple of years is trying to go out and get new lines of, of Africans that are not being uh, produced for the wholesale market, or if they are being produced, we're, we're trying to, to, to produce them and do a better job than what they've been done before. I have an advantage with the, the farm that I have is that I could breed these, um, these African cichlids indoors, and then I could put them outdoors in a pond and when they go into a pond, they, they just grow like crazy. So they've got, you know, 30,000 gallons of space. They've got, you know, plenty of live food that I'm able to throw in there for the fish. And they really benefit from the sunlight and the environment. Florida is actually a great place for the African cichlids to breed because our water is uh, very similar to the water that's in the lakes in Africa where they come from as far as the hardness and uh, the pH. So Florida is a a good environment. It does get a little bit cold in the winter time, so we do have to cover them with plastic to help them survive the winter. But um, but yes, they do really good. And Florida, I think, produces you know some of the best Africans in the world. You know, as far as the collar and the markings. And um, one thing I'll, I'll try to do with all the um, ones that I breed is I want to know you know where they came from in Africa. I think that's something that people are tuned into more. Is that you know, they want to know not only what lake they came from, but what point in the lake, you know. And uh, so a lot of the um, new varieties I'm, I'm trying to get, I want to know location point on where they came from. And, and what this ensures is that, you know, this fish has not been um, crossed or, you know, with another African in the hobby. So your lines are more pure. So, uh, you know, that's an important thing for most African keepers. You know, they really don't like the hybrids. Unless it's a peacock cichlid, then it's okay, they say. But, um, but yeah, so we, we do. We like the African cichlids. They're, um, I think African cichlids are one of the most popular fish in the hobby these days. It used to be um, a starter fish for a beginning aquariumist would be guppies or swordtails. And what we've noticed, because we breed a little bit of all of them, is that it seems like the last five years or so that more people are coming into the hobby and starting off with Africans than any other fish. And I think the reason for that would be um, a few things, but one thing is that the Africans are very hardy fish. They don't die easy. So, you know, you don't have to um, have like the, um, you know, perfect environment. I mean, it's good to, to have a good environment, but they're a lot more forgiving for a beginning aquariumist than, uh, than other fish. So, um, so it's a great starter fish. And not only that, it's a very colorful fish. So every time somebody comes up to our, our farm, they say, and that looks like saltwater fish, and, and they do. They resemble the colors on the Africans. They resemble, um, you know, the colors of uh, Nemo. You know, they got they got very bright, bright colors on them, and uh, and that's what people like. You know, they like they like the colors and the brightness. And um, so I think, you know, I would say uh, African cichlids are the um, beginner fish for people these days. 
So um, for keeping a tank, I know they can be aggressive, right? Would you recommend getting a lot of them then in for a tank? or? No, I don't recommend getting a lot of fish for any tank because uh, you uh, seem to have more problems. I mean, on, on one hand, when, when Afri Africans are slightly crowded, they seem to be uh, less territorial, you know, um, but at the same time, you don't want to ever overcrowd your tank, you know, so you're better to, you know, do a, a comfortable ratio, you know, which would be like, uh, I don't know, just off the top of my head, like one fish per, I would say, uh, five gallons uh, would be would be a good start. So like in a 55-gallon tank, 10, 10, you know, cichlids uh, would be a good start, but, um you know, that also depends on which species, because some of them stay small, some of them get big, so, you know, give or take, depending on which species, but, um, and they are very um, aggressive, so you don't want to throw, you know, I've had people that they had a community tank and they put an African cichlid in there, and next thing you know, all the community fish are gone, so, so they will eat other fish, um, they are um, very much so carnivores, and, um, I would say, you know, you need to go with a tank with Africans. And there's other fish that you could put with them, like a lot of fish that come from Africa that aren't cichlids, like I would say the catfish, the Senadontus. Those are in Lake Malawi and, and the other lakes. They're, um, they're, the, they're the bottom feeders in those lakes. So, uh, and they're really cool catfish. They don't get very big, and they do a very good job cleaning. And, you know, that would be a good fish to have in with the African cichlid. Okay. Well, I want to get back to Aplico now. You, you showed me both at the one of the Global Pet Expos as well as at your farm the uh, the Luteus, which was a spectacular fish. Can you um, talk a little bit about that? How you got it? What your plans are? And also maybe if you can describe it for uh, our listeners as well, because it you know I know there are a couple different sort of phases or colors. Yeah, this is uh, this is a very special fish to us. Um, um, it's um, I call it the bling bling pico because um, <laughs> it's solid gold um, and, and it's and it's uh, final phase. Uh, it comes in three phases, what they call a phase one, uh, which is a, a black body with uh, with gold spots and gold fins, and um, it reminds me of like a, a big gold nugget, I guess you could say. And then um, a phase two is one that is uh, losing its black uh, markings and it's turning gold. So, you know, phase two is, um, you know, you know, you could say half and half, half gold and half, half black of spot, with gold spots. And then um, the final phase is the phase three, and that's when the fish is like 90% gold or, or more. And this is a, a hypostomous, um, the, I call them luteus, but it's pronounced luteus, and, um, but they come from Argentina, and um, over the years, Argentina has not really been a, um, a place that a lot of fish have came out of into the United States. Germany and Japan, they, they, they bring in fish from there quite often, but in the States, that, that for some reason, that this wasn't a spot that people were bringing in fish from the wild from. And Ingo Sedell from Germany, um, good friends with, with Ingo, and I've learned a lot about the Picos from, from Ingo, but he, um, he told me about this fish, um, it's probably been about six years ago at a, uh, cichlid convention, um, I believe it, actually it was a catfish convention in Maryland, and he showed me on his computer how, you know, pictures of it, and he's like, you need to get this fish, you know, in production, and, you know, he, he explained to me not just that one, but there was uh, probably a dozen other ones from that area that have never been bred in captivity at that time. 
and that he felt like uh, with my facility that it would be a good fit for me here because it, it has very similar water parameters as what we have here in Florida. So um, so it took me uh, a little while to locate them and to bring them into the U.S., but we brought in the first shipment last year, and um, the response, you know, um, was phenomenal. I mean, it's... Um, Anybody that sees the fish, even if they don't know nothing about the fish, are just in amazement, you know, at the at the collar markings of the fish. So this is the first time the fish have been brought into the U.S. You know, as far as we know, ever in volume. You know, there's, there's been a few pieces that trickled in from Canada over the years. You know, because the Canadians have, have been bringing them in uh, for a few years now. But um, so we're excited about that fish. There's also the margarita fruit from down there, and I'd say. Uh, a black pleco with white spots all over it, white polka dots, and that's another another hypothesis. And um, so, yeah, the, the fish has been a hit for us. We uh, I've been selling um, a few of them, um, you know, off and on for the last few months, and then um, I've also got you know two different breeding setups groups of them on the farm. Um, as far as today, they haven't successfully successfully spawned yet, but. We feel like uh, we're pretty close to, to spawning them, and um, you know they're very similar to some of the other plecos that we already breed. I have a, a Uruguay pleco that we uh, we bred a couple of years ago. Um, I only had a, a seven of them originally that I, I received from Spencer Jack in Canada, and that fish um, is from Uruguay, which is just north of Argentina where these are collected. Actually, it would probably be just east of where the um, Rutaeus come from on the world map, and that fish breeds, you know, quite regularly for me now, and we finally have our F1s up to size, so that, that Uruguay pleco, which we call a redfin pleco, is almost like a cousin to the to the Ludius, you know. So we feel like between that and the rhinos and the other other bigger pleco's that we've bred, that we feel like we're going to be able to, um, to breed it, and, um, you know, we're excited about the potential of that fish. Yeah, me too. Those are spectacular, all the fish that you just described. Now, uh, I, I know folks can maybe see some of these online. I know you're a big fan of Facebook and YouTube. I guess maybe tell us about those sites and, and how important is the Internet, in your opinion, to your business, to the hobby, and, and to the aquarium industry in general? Okay, well, Lee, um, yeah, I'm a big fan. My, my other hobby is photography. So over the years, I've taken thousands of pictures of fish, and now that I look back at those old pictures, I'm like, man, I didn't know nothing about photography. I was shooting on automatic settings, and, you know, now now I'm on manual settings, and I've got a lighting studio, you know, a studio with lights, and I spend, you know, literally hours in there photographing. So my goal with, with this social media is the last few months, I would say I started probably about three months ago with the Facebook channel you know, putting um, photographs of my fish on Facebook, and uh, we've got an Imperial Tropical Facebook page that I put the pictures on, and, and the, the response has been just, we're kind of overwhelmed by it, I mean, because I'm getting so many um, hobbyists contacting me, you know, asking me, hey, where can I buy your fish from, or do you sell to the, to the public, and, um, you know, so we're... Uh, we're excited about that because, you know, before when I would breed a new fish, you know, that's never been bred before, all I had was the name and then I would send samples out to customers and say, look, this is a new fish that's never been bred before, you know, here it is, you know, now I could uh, catalog the fish and do a proper, you know, description of it. So whenever I have a new fish that's, um, 
you know, uh, that I've, I've bred, I'm able to take pictures of it in several different stages, you know, from small to, to breeding form, and it makes a world of difference. When I put those pictures on the web, people really react, you know, to, to, the, to the photographs. And the same thing with the YouTube. I was doing some very amateur video of my fish, and, and I couldn't... I couldn't get good video. I was like, man, you know, I've got these burial vats that these nice fish are in, and I would have to literally take the fish out of the vat, hold them on my hand or in a, in a bag, and the footage is very, very um, rough, you know, so I ended up buying the underwater camera, and now it's like, man, it just opens up, you know, all the beautiful life that are in these vats, um, you know, of my fish, and those have been really popular. I, um, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback from people on my YouTube channel with it and um, you know I'm excited about literally the farm is like an endless I can do endless footage of different things on the farm that I think people will find interesting so we're we're excited about the um, you know social media aspect of, of the hobby you know um, for you know my family has been doing this since 1970 so you know for the longest you know before the internet was even alive we were we, we've been in this business and now we're trying to utilize that technology to to help you know grow not only our business but the hobby uh, we we feel like the most important um, job that we have is to educate and to um, to to teach people you know how to take care of fish you know one thing that i've always heard from people was that wow your job must be really hard because i've tried to keep fish before and we couldn't keep them alive and um what you find out is that these people you know really wanted to get into the fish hobby but they went to um maybe maybe a box store that really you know maybe the salesperson didn't give them good advice on 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 how to start the tank and maybe they threw you know, some duppies in there with their Africans and, and, and didn't like the results and, and gave up on the hobby. But so what we want is we want what we call like the NTS syndrome and that's the, the multiple tank syndrome. Uh, there's been many people that I've gotten that has never, never had an aquarium before. So I tell them where to go to get the tanks, where to get the setup because that's not something that we deal with. And then they come back and, and a lot of the local people, I'll just donate fish for the first time. I'm like, here, you know, take some of these sword tails and, and start. And, and what I find is that the people, if they have success, with their first tank that they will end up having tanks all over the house and that's what we like we like to have people that have um, multiple tank addictions and uh, they really enjoy the fish and they learn enjoy learning about the fish you know so we think you know in a combination with all that with the internet we're able to reach people that we weren't able to reach before and um, you know we think the internet is the um, the future of the fish business i really do i, I think um you know um I think it, uh, you can't even put in, um, you know, volume what the internet's going to be in the future because we already see what it's done just in the last, you know, decade. I mean, every year it seems like it takes leaps and bounds. So, um, so we think, um, you know, we think the internet is going to be um, and is a uh, as a powerful tool for the fish business. Well, I definitely appreciate your time, Mike. Unfortunately, I think we're, we are out of time. I have a, a million more questions for you. And luckily, I know our, our listeners do have the opportunity and we'll have your YouTube and Facebook pages and, and your business websites on your guest page. So they'll be able to access that and, and kind of keep up with all the work you're doing and all your beautiful fish. Well, I want to thank very much you, Mike, and our producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. Mike, do you have any uh, final words of wisdom or information for our listeners? 
Well, I guess the final thing would be uh, that, in my humble opinion, I think fish keepers are a higher level of being than non-fish keepers. <laughs> if you're able to keep fish alive and maintain a healthy environment, then you know you're. Um, I think you're you're a little bit better off than people that don't know how. So I think it's a great educational. There's probably not a a hobby in the world that you could learn so much from. You know, so as far as the science aspect of it, I think it's a wonderful thing for people to keep fish and and learn all the different aspects so, uh, so you know just um, I encourage people to start a fish tank if they don't already have one excellent advice and yeah I, I agree with you uh, absolutely they're, they're definitely a, a lot more a lot more that you have to know to, to keep fish successfully than you know maybe some other animals yeah, well thanks again for joining mm-hmm. us Mike please be sure to check out Mike's webpage links on his guest page on Aquarium Mania for more information on Imperial Tropicals and uh, Mike's favorite fish. I encourage all of you to visit my Aquarium Mania blog on Pet Life Radio. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy at petliferadio.com. That's D-R-R-O-Y at petliferadio.com. If you're ever in Florida, please be sure to visit the Aquarium Mania exhibit at the Florida Aquarium in Tampa, one of my favorite aquariums. And be sure to check out my new book, not so new book anymore, but our book in Animal Life, a novel written by me and three close friends inspired by our time in veterinary school. Go to ananimallife.com. Until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores, keep your tanks clean and your fish healthy, and be sure to visit Mike Girardi's Facebook and YouTube sites. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.